please turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of any, every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Well, we're looking, uh, friends, at this, these seven verses uh, tonight, and uh, a very important chapter uh, in the Bible, and my title for uh, this evening's message is The First Temptation, uh, The First Sin. The first temptation here, and the first sin. Of course, not really the first sin ever, but the first sin uh, in the world, the first sin committed by man. Uh, the devil already has that uh, terrible honor, as, as it were, or dishonor, I should say, of, of having the first sin, the first rebellion against God. And now he's out on the prowl, we see him here, to make man a rebel like himself. And sadly, uh, he is uh, successful. But this is a very uh, important chapter uh, in the scriptures. Not a story, as some people tell us, uh, though it comes across to us in this narrative, and it's a historical narrative. And how thankful we are uh, for it. And how, how amazing that we are privileged to have this uh, chapter in the Bible and to read it and to be like eyewitnesses and see uh, what is happening almost stage by stage, step by step of the account is given uh, to us and we're able to follow it and to uh, understand it so easily and to see uh, what happened and how man fell from his high and privileged position into that one, that of rebellion and separation from God. Without this chapter, friends, well, we wouldn't be able to explain why there is so much misery, why there is so much wretchedness and horrible things uh, happening in the world, why people are so unkind and so nasty uh, to one another. We wouldn't be able to understand why it is that people run from God instead of towards Him. They're running away from, a, from the God who has created them and made them, who is good and kind. Why do they do that? Genesis 3 alone tells us why. Why sin is not restricted to, to a few, but is universal everywhere it's found. And why people die, of course, can be traced back to this chapter, the redemption of Christ. How could we grasp that really in its fullness unless we know about the fall of man? So we're just thinking about this temptation 
which led to the downfall of man. But before we look at these verses in particular, I just want to talk a little bit more about that covenant of works, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. We looked at it a little bit in passing uh, previously, but I just want to say a little bit more, and then we'll come back to this chapter. Uh, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, uh, Genesis 2, 16, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt thou shall <clears throat> surely uh, die. So this is, as we know, the covenant of works, the covenant that God made uh, with, uh, with Adam, an agreement between God and Adam. God said to Adam, as it were, keep my commandment, obey me, and I will reward you uh, with uh, life. I will reward you uh, with eternal uh, life. Not only for you, but you're representing your posterity, all the children who will come after you. You can, if you obey this commandment, then you will have life, disobey it, and you will lose life. You will lose and bring uh, death uh, into uh, the world. This is the agreement uh, in the simple way that God made with the man. It's as if the man could earn by his works, by his obedience, he can earn eternal uh, life. But is that really possible? Is it really possible for man, that man can earn, can merit eternal life? Well, really no. The answer is no, because God provides everything uh, for man. Man is entirely dependent on God. Even here, perfect man is entirely dependent on God. But in this covenant, we see God condescending to man, condescending uh, uh, down uh, to his level to make this covenant uh, with him, condescending to uh, promise him, keep, just keep this commandment and I will give uh, to you eternal life. So it's a conditional covenant, obey and live, disobey and lose everything, lose eternal life and become uh, mortal. Well, that's uh, the, the covenant of works. But, and Genesis 3 is an account of uh, how Adam failed uh, to keep that part of his agreement. The covenant of works was broken once and for all. This was the only time that man could, in a sense, earn uh, his salvation by uh, keeping a commandment. It's no longer the case. Now, uh, since, since, since then, man will, sinful man will no longer be able to merit eternal life by uh, obedience. Sometimes, well, as we go read through the Old Testament, we sometimes see God repeating this covenant of works, uh, with, especially with Moses on Mount Sinai. That's, uh, again, the same thing. Do and live. Obey and live. Disobey and you'll be punished. And it seems as if, as if God is, uh, well, God is actually uh, repeating the same uh, covenant of works. But it's not with the same emphasis and the same importance as before. And it's for another reason. That when God repeats the covenant of works in the Old Testament, it's because uh, he wants people to see the impossibility of uh, uh, obtaining salvation by it. 
He wants them to feel that they need a savior. And that's why uh, he brings it to the forefront. He wants them to turn away from that and to trust in the covenant uh, of grace rather than in the covenant of works. So uh, just with those uh, few thoughts, we then come with, with that sort of background in our minds, the covenant of works which was there, Adam and Eve, well, they were aware of, of the covenant of works, but also the, the enemy is aware. And here we see in chapter 3, verse 1, how he is on the prowl, he's, on, he's uh, looking uh, for, to break up uh, the, this uh, relationship that God uh, has uh, with, uh, with Adam and with Eve. Chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, this chapter, as you know, doesn't actually refer to Satan himself. There's no mention of uh, uh, Satan here, only the serpent. But we know from other scriptures that this is uh, the devil. In Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, describes him as that old serpent, the devil. And we see, even by the way, the serpent speaks and behaves here in a subtle and sly way. Well, that's how the devil works and how the devil's activity has, was then and is even still to this day. He works in a subtle and sly and deceitful and a cunning way. And that's probably why he chose the serpent. The serpent at that time was, uh, the more, uh, was more subtle than any beast of the field. And that's why probably he made it <coughs> his instrument to get to Eve because it was similar uh, to himself. But notice, friends, he doesn't come as himself. He doesn't come in his true colors. He doesn't show himself as he really is. That would be too scary for Eve. That would frighten her away. She'd probably run a mile if she saw him the, de the devil as he is. Instead, uh, he comes as a serpent. And this is how the devil works, isn't it? This is one of the, the ways uh, he gets to people. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14 tells us, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And he uh, deceives people in this way, coming in another guise to uh, undercover, covertly, uh, to deceive uh, people in a cunning and a shrewd uh, way. Well, here we see uh, his, his craft and his intention, as we've said, is to break up that relationship that man has with God, to bring a breach between the man and his maker, between man and his best friend. Even now, they're on uh, such a close relationship, and he hates it, and he doesn't like to see uh, such a, a, a close relationship between God and man. He's out to ruin, to spoil, to mar God's creation and God's uh, handiwork, and especially to separate man uh, from God. And as he was then, well, that's what he's doing even now today. Through subtlety, through deceit, through sly ways, he keeps men and women from God. And that's his intention. And that's what uh, he desires above all uh, to do. Verse 1 is, he begins with this crafty question. 
He said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? It's a question that's uh, put in such a way to misrepresent the Lord, to accuse God of severity and harshness. As uh, before this time, well, Eve had never once had a bad thought about her maker. She never once doubted that he was good, that he was loving, that he was kind. She never once questioned uh, his, his care. But now, for the very first time, uh, Satan plants this evil thought in her mind. And it's put in such a, a way uh, as he frames this question like with a surprising uh, intonation. Is it really true? Is it really so that God has said you can't eat from every tree of the garden? Is it so that he's keeping one tree and its fruits from you? He has made you Lord over all. He has given you dominion over everything. Isn't that what he said? Why then is he keeping this tree from you? Shouldn't you have, don't you have a right to this tree as well as to all the other trees? Why is God doing that? And that is sort of the, the suggestion that he is putting into their minds. God is withholding uh, something uh, from you. Of course, he's bypassing everything that God has provided for them. He makes no mention of God's goodness. He makes no mention of all the other trees that they can eat from. You could say, you know, the glass is 99% full and 1% empty, but he just focuses on that 1%. He isolates just the one thing which they cannot do and bypasses all God's goodness and kindness and provision uh, for them. And that's what he still does, friends. This is still the activity of Satan. People fail to see all that God has provided for them. Something happens in their life. Some trouble happens, a problem uh, comes into, into their loss, they lose something uh, precious or valuable, and in, uh, they straight away uh, are blaming God. If there was a God, well then he wouldn't allow this to happen to me. He wouldn't allow all these troubles to happen. But what about all that he has put in place? What about the food and the drink that you have on your table and you enjoy every day? What about your life? What about your uh, your home that you have and so many other blessings you receive uh, from him. Have you ever thanked God about, or they never think about that? But Satan influences, of course, them to think in this uh, unkind and uh, ungenerous and untrue way of God, just to focus on the negative uh, things that happen uh, to them. Oh, one more thing about this reverse. Adam and Eve, of course, well, they, they knew about the restriction uh, beforehand. They were aware that they, they shouldn't eat uh, from that one tree. And it hadn't troubled them. They were not disturbed beforehand uh, that God had said you can't eat, you shouldn't eat from that one tree. They accepted it freely. But now Satan puts a different construction on it and uh, paints God in a bad light and the seed is sown. And a doubt of his goodness uh, is uh, entertained. And in a similar way, many, uh, so many today, one of the reasons why people don't come to, to God 
It's because they think hard thoughts of him. They think he is an unkind God. They, they think he is a severe God. And they don't want to follow him. And this is one of the results of, well, the satanic activity, but also the result of the fall, that men uh, have no appreciation, a true appreciation and view of God, and so keep at a distance uh, from him. Well, verses 2 and 3, how did Eve respond to this suggestion? Well, actually, to her credit, uh, she does respond in a fairly positive way. And she reiterates what God has said. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but just that one tree in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. She doesn't repeat the command verbatim, but uh, paraphrases it. And uh, some commentators, well, they do, they find fault with her for adding uh, that those words, ye shall not neither shall ye touch it. That wasn't in the original uh, thing which God had said. And they say, oh, she should, she should, she's adding to God's commandment. She's making it more stricter than what it really is. But I, I don't actually see a problem with what uh, she has said. Uh, I think it's, it's probably a good thing. I think she was probably saying to herself, well, I, that's a tree I mustn't go near. That's a tree I mustn't uh, 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 pluck its uh, one of its fruits and play with it and look at it and dwell upon it. I mustn't go near uh, that tree. And I think that's probably what was in her mind when she uh, said um, we mustn't uh, touch it. It's the same for us, isn't it? It's a lesson for us. We don't to sin against God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, we want to. We don't to play with things which may lead to that sin. We don't be careful of what we're watching on the TV or elsewhere. We be careful about the things that we are dwelling on. So uh, any unclean suggestion that comes to us, we resist it. We fight uh, against it and not allow these things. We try and avoid these things as much as possible. And I think uh, that was uh, in her mind when she said these things, uh, these words, neither shall ye touch it. But perhaps... Perhaps she is beginning to waver a little bit because she does say, lest ye die. And that's a, a, a God had said, thou shalt surely die. But she said, uh, we shouldn't eat of it, neither touch it, lest ye, we die. And it's a, a little bit of a weaker uh, response on her part. Well, the enemy, Satan, picks up on this. And now, in a very open and direct way, he contradicts what God has said. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not uh, surely die. You won't die if you eat this fruit. It's not, it's not true what God has said. Everything will be fine. There are no consequences to this action. After all, it's only eating a fruit. It's such a trivial thing, uh, eating a fruit. You won't die uh, for doing that. Oh, God is threatening you, but he won't carry out the threaten, a threat. He won't really kill you. God is not going to do that. He'll never execute such a thing on you. He's too kind. He's too loving to do that. He's too loving to judge you in such a way. Even though he said these things, he won't carry it out. Well, we're all too familiar 
with this kind of reasoning. We hear it uh, all the time, uh, on, uh, often uh, when we're on the streets or, or even sometimes from pulpits, we hear these things. No judgment. God is love. God is kind. He'll never judge anyone. God will never send uh, anyone uh, to hell. That's not like him. Uh, why would he do such a thing? He's a, he's a loving God. And uh, they, they, they bypass that he is also a God of justice uh, who must uh, punish uh, sin. Well, friends, also in this voice, he shall not surely die. He said it with such confidence, as if he really knew what, uh, uh, what he was talking about, as if it really was something that, was, that wouldn't happen, but it was a lie. They would die. The militant atheists, well, when they speak, they are very, very confident in what they say. And they say it in such a way, and such a convincing and persuasive and assured way that so many are taken in. And they say, oh, it doesn't matter how you live. There is no God. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to be concerned about the afterlife. You don't need to be concerned about judgment. There is no such thing. And they come across in such a way as to persuade thousands, it seems, that uh, to follow them, so many are seduced by uh, the, the, uh, the, the confidence and the assured way in which uh, they speak. But sadly, uh, they are wrong. Verse 4 uh, he goes on uh, to say, sorry, I beg your pardon, verse 5. For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing uh, good and evil. Uh, on the contrary, instead of dying, he's saying, you'll achieve a greater status. You'll achieve a higher status than you currently have. You will be, you will know good and you will be as, as gods, knowing good and evil. As gods, well, the word could be taken uh, for rulers or for angels uh, or for God himself. Well, Adam and Eve would have been unaware of any rulers at that time. Uh, and it's probably not angels. It's, uh, it's more uh, fits, uh, fits the text to say that it was God. You shall be as God, and knowing uh, good and evil. You'll be more intelligent. You'll be as wise and as intelligent uh, as uh, God is. And God is uh, using this uh, tree as it were. God is keeping you from this tree because he wants to keep you in an inferior position. He's using this restriction, this prohibition, uh, uh, to keep you in this low position. Uh, he knows this. It says this. God doth know. And God is almost like jealous and envious that you can, you can reach just by eating this fruit. You can reach to the high position that he, that he has and to have the wisdom and intelligence that he has. And so he puts it in this appealing way uh, to uh, Eve. And well... There is there's some truth, we could say, in what he said. Uh, later on, we read in Genesis 3 and verse 22, the Lord God, uh, this is after they had sinned, the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. 
And it, it was true, but they knew evil in a different way to God. They began to know evil by experience. This would be their, their life. They would taste of it, a bitter life, a sad life, a trouble in their world, in the world. Pain would be their portion. Harm uh, would, would, would be their experience. Not only being aware of these things as God is, but actually experiencing them uh, firsthand. For he kept that uh, from them. And then the, the woman succumbs. Verse 6, uh, when she saw the tree while it was good for food, she looked at it. She looked at the fruit on the tree and uh, the fruit, while well, it looked good, and nothing wrong with it, it seems. And the more she looked, the more she desired uh, of it. And the more she looked and thought about it and revolved uh, all that the enemy had said uh, in her mind about wisdom and the high level that she would achieve, the more her imagination uh, was inflamed and was fired up. And it led to a strong wish and a strong desire uh, to uh, take the fruit. Overpowered, uh, she was overpowered by this uh, desire. And she, in the end, she takes the fruit and she, she took the fruit and she ate uh, of it. Again, a, a picture to us of how temptation works. That temptation works and begins even with maybe a look or a thought. And if it's dwelt on, well, uh, dwelling on something that's prohibited, well, very soon the imagination also is kindled. and We begin to muse upon these things in our minds and in our hearts, and that feeds our desire, and the desire leads uh, to sin, and sin, uh, James tells us, leads uh, to death, to taking. Uh, the desire leads to the taking of something that God has uh, forbidden. So here we see the first temptation has led now to the first sin committed by man. Nothing happened to Eve after she ate. Nothing happened immediately to her. It seems she felt the same. She felt, oh, I haven't been struck down. I haven't, been, I haven't uh, died. Perhaps the, uh, the serpent was right uh, after all. There are no consequences uh, to my sin. Oh, well, maybe I've got away with it. And because God doesn't punish sin, usually punish sin immediately, well, people think in the same way. People think, well, I did this and this and thing. At first I, was, I didn't want to do it. My conscience told me not to do it. I still did it. And what happened? Nothing happened. Oh, that's okay. Then I can do it again. And I can encourage other people to do it again. And because judgment is withheld, usually people uh, continue also in sin. Well, Eve encouraged somebody else, and that was her husband. She gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Was Adam there right from the beginning? Right from the beginning of the temptation? Some people think so. But uh, it seems... Uh, it seems, however, that Eve was on her own uh, initially, and then at some point, uh, Adam returned uh, to her side. And uh, it was actually her 
who persuaded Adam to take and eat the fruit. Perhaps just before she took it, uh, or just after she's taken it, and Adam's return, and she uh, goes over uh, what what maybe what the serpent has said and the benefits of eating this fruit and. Uh, he, uh, you, you should eat of it, we should partake of it because it's good and will make us uh, like God. And he, in such persuasive words, uh, she managed to persuade him to, uh, to eat uh, with her. 1 Timothy 2 verse 14 tells us, Adam was not deceived, uh, but Eve. And that, uh, not, that tells us that Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. Eve was deceived. But Adam knew exactly what, his, what he was doing. The problem was he listened uh, to his wife. And God even said this in, in verse 17. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. And that's what led him uh, even to eat with her. He, he identified with her. What if Adam had refused to eat? As he should have done. What would have happened then? Well, judgment, no doubt, would have fallen on Eve and uh, an alternative uh, put in, plan put in place. But uh, we're going there really into the realms of uh, speculation. And uh, so, but we know, we know what's happened. But uh, Adam really should uh, have refused to listen uh, to his wife. Last week I told you, listen to your wives. <laughs> that still holds good. Uh, but uh, weigh up whatever our spouses say. We weigh it up in line uh, with the word uh, of God. Well, Adam ate, and the covenant of works uh, is broken. Eternal life is lost. Adam and all his children are cut off now from God, separated uh, from him. Uh, people say uh, often, but it's only a very small thing. It's only a very small sin, isn't it? It's just a small misdemeanor, eating a fruit, a piece of fruit. What's so wrong about that? Why such a great punishment? Uh, why death? Why eternal death? It's too severe, isn't it? Well, friends, when we look at it, this is not a small, trivial sin. It's a compound sin. It's made up of, there are many sins here behind uh, this one act. Of course, there's disobedience willful disobedience on Adam's part. There's unbelief. They didn't believe what God had said. They didn't believe his warning that they, they would surely die. There's discontent here. Uh, they, uh, God had raised them into this high position already and uh, God had given them so much, yet still they were not happy with what they had. Pride, of course, self-seeking is here. Ungratefulness. God had surrounded them with such an abundance, but it's a, by doing this, they're showing their ungratefulness to God, suspicion of God. Is he really good? Is he really uh, kind? Why is he withholding something from us, entertaining these wrong thoughts and coveting uh, something which is out of bounds? So all these things was behind uh, just this one act. So it's no small thing uh, that they'd done it was a terrible uh, act of disobedience and so on against their maker and their, uh, their God. And so the punishment uh, come. But verse, uh, we'll look at that 
uh, God willing, next week. But verse 7, their eyes were opened. They became conscious of uh, feelings that they never had before. Conscious of uh, guilt before they were innocent. That's all they knew. Now they feel guilt. Now they feel shame. And uh, both uh, shame usually follows guilt. No one's pointing a finger at them. God even as yet hasn't apprehended them and confronted them about their sin. But their own conscience uh, condemns them. Their own conscience tells them uh, that they are guilty and they feel ashamed. And their eyes were opened, but not in the way the tempter had suggested. And so they try and hide uh, their nakedness and they sew these fig leaves together, fasten them, uh, tying these uh, uh, fig branches together by twisting to try and cover uh, up uh, themselves and th their shame. Well, uh, the, the enemy who caused such a downfall, friends, at uh, this time is the enemy still. His character hasn't changed. He does things in behind the background. One of his biggest lies is that he doesn't even exist. That he has no, there is no devil. And uh, we know and we need to be aware of his tactics. And we need to know and be aware of how uh, he has worked and how he's still uh, working. But we thank God that even though man has fallen, that wasn't the end of, of the matter. And uh, God allowed these things to happen, even for his glory. And uh, through even the fall of man, uh, God is going to be glorified. God is going to be seen in a, 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 God's grace is going to be seen. God's glory is going to be magnified in what he is going to do to redeem a fallen man. And we know about that and his wonderful work through the Lord uh, Jesus Christ.